You're listening to the voices behind women's cricket chat. That's Georgie, Cassie, Mahika, and Alex. Coming up on today's podcast. Hello and welcome back to Women's Cricket Chat with another episode. Today we are joined by the wonderful Marie Kelly, lovely representation of the Blazers training kit, the newly established Blaze who, as of this week, have played one game ever and won one game ever. That's a 100% win record for the Blaze. Welcome to the pod, Marie. It's so nice to finally have you. We've been trying to organise this one for a long time, but... It's just one of those things that's taken a lot of time coming, but good things come to those who wait, and we've got a good thing here. Exactly. Finally managed to get on the pod. Um, schedules kept changing over the last sort of months or so, um, but yeah, glad to finally be here. And yeah, fresh off a win on Saturday, so it's a top-of-the-table clash at the weekend between us and Sunrisers, which, um, yeah, should be a good game. And so let's kick things off with the blaze and it being established... So it has just come about this year, replacing Lightning, with whom you were obviously part of before. What's it been like going through that kind of change? Or is it basically just a change in name and a change in colours? It's definitely felt like more than that. It's kind of been more of a shift into what feels more like a professional team before, because like obviously it was great being at the uni, obviously still really good facilities. But because it was very much like, based at the university and everything out of the university, it felt more like a university programme than like a professional environment. And because the facilities were so good there, we were having to wait around quite a lot to get access to those facilities. So like we would be training in the gym really early in the morning and then wouldn't be able to get into the centre until sort of six or eight o'clock at night. Um, So you're kind of doing 14 hour days for three or four hours worth of training. So from that point of view, our days have now been like structured a lot better. We feel like more kind of full-time pro athletes rather than kind of dipping in and out and sharing facilities amongst other athletes, which has been really beneficial for us this winter. And do you think that sort of reflects the growth in the professionalisation of the women's game? You know, you're not sort of second in the pecking order. You are the priority. You are the professional team. You have the facilities. You have the training. You do the winter training. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, we still have certain challenges around sharing the facilities with the men um, at Nottingham, but they've obviously been really welcoming and receptive to having us there like we've literally just come in and encroached onto their space effectively and what they've had for years and years and years so it's already feeling like mostly ours and we're learning to kind of share facilities with them and and learn from each other about what we can from each other's games so yeah it's definitely a lot further into a step towards being a much more professional environment. And we obviously spoke to Chris Guest last season and we sort of asking the question about, you know, obviously you've gone from being Lightning and being in based in the university to now being rebranded as The Blaze and having the training facilities at Trent Bridge. What has the reception been like from the Midlands? Yeah, it's been great. Like we've obviously got kind of a lot of sponsors on board already. So there's we had a lot of offers for sponsorship as well, which shows that kind of Midlands-based companies are, are interested in supporting us and getting behind us. And we had loads of people at the game um, on Saturday as well, which was really pleasing to see. And it felt like we had immediately, even in our first game, it felt like we had a real fan base, which I think is something that kind of Trent Bridge in itself just attracts through the Nottingham members. Um, and then obviously when we go out further to kind of Leicester, the Derbyshire stadiums and things, that will obviously attract even more of a fan base. But it was great to have that start at Trent Bridge and, yeah, and just and see the fans and get to meet them and know that they were really supporting us, which was really cool. And we've just seen the first weekend of the Rachel Ayahoe Flint Trophy 2023. 
forgot what year we were in for a minute there. Um, and all of the games were actually played at test match grounds. That's really cool. What did that feel like to know that, you know, the women's game are getting this, are getting the big grounds now? Yeah, it was great. I actually said it to Tammy that whilst we were kind of waiting to go out, we were in the little like dressing room bit whilst you've obviously got the members sat there and then you had like the little um, knots under 13 girls ready with their bats and stuff for us to walk through. And I thought this is really, I actually said to Tammy like this is really cool way to start off the season that like we're starting here we're getting people down to this ground um and it was kind of it felt like a good kind of spectacle and it felt more like more of a professional environment than it ever has done before um so that was really really cool I mean I think it'll actually be quite a nice mix this year like next week we're playing at Welbeck so obviously it's not a test match ground it's more of a club ground but that may attract local people around the Welbeck area so there's kind of pros and cons of both um and it's about learning to enjoy the positives of both of those kind of yeah both those grounds and obviously when the name was lightning there was obviously even though it was just known as lightning I feel like people still kept referring to it as Loughborough lightning which is like just a bit silly but with it being sort of the East Midlands hub for for regional cricket for women's cricket in England like how not I suppose not how difficult but how conscious are you that you are just representing a whole host of regions in the area not just you know your Nottingham's and stuff like that yeah definitely that's something that we've all spoken about quite a lot this winter um and it's something that we as like professionals now are kind of really gearing towards and that we we have we commit to through signing our contract we commit to um going out and doing lots of external programs with different counties and um getting out to lots of different events so we'll, we'll do things at Derbyshire we'll do things around Nottingham we'll do things around Leicester Loughborough so we're not just obviously now a base at Trentbridge but it's not about forgetting that all the people that supported us at Loughborough it's not about forgetting all the kids that come to the games in Leicester and the Derbyshire girls that look up to us like so through everybody we we end up doing sort of five or six events each where we'll go out and we'll try and meet as many different people as possible um, and help out, whether it's a women's tournament, a school games, a coaching session, a and a There's loads and loads of different things out there and we've all been getting involved this winter to, to, to kind of do that and take the game throughout the whole region. And we talk about inspiring the youngsters to get into the game and, you know, picking up role models, seeing you guys play, but... When you first started cricket, who was it that inspired you and how did you get into the game in the first place? My inspiration is obviously there wasn't many women's cricketers at the time. So my inspiration was probably more the 2005 Ashes. And I remember um, we had a party, a family party, and we, we it was on the TV. And I just distinctly remember that kind of last day and everyone was watching it. And I just remember how exciting it was. And I think back now to like, I was a nine-year-old girl, like extremely excited by test cricket. And that was firmly like where my interest, well, me and my twin sister, we've got twin sisters, she plays. Um, that was kind of our interest as well. And it was kind of that through a combination of that and chance to shine. We'd had a coach called Errol Sims kind of came into our primary school around about the same time. Um, and we played tennis when we were younger and we played against Trevor Penny's daughter in tennis. And he kind of said about that same time, why don't you come to the cricket club? So it was very much when we were kind of nine years old that summer, there just seemed to be a lot going on with cricket. Um, and then my dad, mum and dad took us to Worcester, to New Road, to go and watch um, England women. And it was players like Charlotte Edwards, like Lydia Greenway, Sarah Taylor, Tammy Beaumont as well. In the end, like she was obviously only young back then. I didn't know that. But yeah, those are the kind of names from a women's point of view that inspired me to play as well. Do you ever remind Tammy of this and try and make her feel old? Yeah, absolutely. We had... Um, 
we had a conversation the other week actually about one of my first two-day games for England. I was like really young and it was like an England Day, England Academy invitational thing. And I went and I was like 14 or 15. It was when obviously we still played in whites and everything back then. And Tammy immediately went like, because we had to stay over at a hotel. Tammy was like, oh, um, put your number in my phone. Like if you need anything, like just drop me a text. And she's like, do you, is your dad staying? Do, do you need a lift to the ground? Like, and I said to her, like I distinctly remember that she was very like proactive in making me feel involved and like I thanked her for it because obviously I never did at the time because I was still like oh my god I've got Danny Belmont's number um <laughs> so yeah that was that was pretty cool um so yeah she, yeah she's definitely old but she's still still got it and you mentioned um your twin obviously I know Sean from Fairbreak last year yeah. um, where she was with the Warriors side um and you both played cricket did you sort of train in the garden together was it a bit of like I'm gonna bowl I'm gonna bat was there ever any arguments about that yeah, absolutely. I think we both always wanted to bat. I don't think any of us ever volunteered to bowl, which I probably should have done a bit more. And she was a wicketkeeper as well. So I quite liked it when other people bowled. I got to bat and she kept wicket behind. But yeah, we just play all the time in the garden. Um, we'd go to like the local park, which had rugby uh, rugby posts in, and we'd throw the ball in between the rugby posts and like all that kind of stuff. And my local cricket club, Ellswood Cricket Club, was great for just being able to rock up and, and have fun and just play out there with the boys all the time. So, yeah. So, this is a little bit of a cheeky question, but out of you and your twin sister, Sean, who do you think is the better batter? I think because I'm a professional batter, I'm going to say me. <laughs> I think Sean, Sean was very unlucky at a young age and that she broke her ankle quite badly when we were like 13. Um, so she missed quite a bit of that season. And I feel like that was a season where I probably developed quite a bit. So I think she potentially just missed out a bit from that season in terms of the development. And then I got put onto kind of Warwickshire Academy programmes and junior programmes, which I still think she was probably good enough to have done that as well. But I think it was just a case of right place, right time. And I kind of got spotted and stuff. So she still plays like at a decent level. She still played county a couple of years ago, plays for Hampstead in London. So yeah, and plays for the MCC. So she's still still playing at quite a decent decent level. But I think I, I think she's actually played at Lords before me. So she's one, one up on me at that. And she beat my high score last year. So statistically, she actually might be better. That's all because you sabotaged her and whacked her around the foot with a bat when you were young, just because you wanted exactly. the twin rivalry. And so from there, you then say you got onto the the county ladder. And is that where it all just escalated from there? Yeah, definitely. I think because we were playing at a time when there wasn't many female cricketers, that actually probably benefited me in that there was only sort there was only ever a maximum of sort of twelve players at county training so you actually got quite a lot of coaching and attention and then from there on to like the junior emerging players program and then the Warwickshire Academy then there was only sort of four or five players on on those things so immediately you're getting sort of four times a week a lot more attention than other players so I do think that really contributed to me kind of progressing in the sport quite quickly and then you get selected onto like England under 19s and and progress through there. And you are Warwickshire through and through having even captained them in 2019 to the T20 title. I believe it's the maiden T20 title for Warwickshire. Yeah. Talk us through that, because we have spoken to Anish Patel last year yeah. about it, so we want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. It was something that I've always kind of aspired to with Warwickshire, but just never really believed that we'd ever do it. We kind of obviously been playing for Warwickshire since I was nine years old, so... 
I've kind of got into the women's team and we're in like division three, division two. We've we kind of scrambled around to stay in Div two for a lot of years. Like we were very nearly relegated a lot of the time. Um and we eventually got promoted and sort of playing with the big teams and yeah, to then eventually win that T twenty league was testament to kind of all of the work that Warwickshire have put into developing their girls throughout the system and then having a really strong women's team. Um, so Errol Sims was probably the main main guy behind that, just really kind of believing in us and pushing us to be even better. And then obviously Dom Osler and Tom Brown came in and just added a little bit more kind of professionalism as well, extra skill level. And it meant that we won that T20 league. So yeah, one of my more memorable cricket matches, I'd say. Yeah, a bit of shock as well, I think. <laughs> And I mean, you didn't do too shabby with the bat either being the top scorer of the tournament. I know you kind of just said there that it was like one of your favourite matches. Would you say of your career so far, it's like your best career moment to date? Yeah, I'd say so. I think obviously reflecting on more of the journey towards it, I think that was really good. On the day itself, I remember the match wasn't actually that close. So it kind of just wasn't as big a a deal on that day like I've played in other matches where I'd probably say some of those matches were more memorable because they were really really close and like the emotions of the actual day are a lot higher but in terms of like the, and the reflection of kind of where we'd been as a county then to eventually kind of get our hands on the title was yeah it's definitely up there for me and that's an interesting one as well because obviously you still play county and the county system has been there a lot longer than the Rachel Hayo Flint the Charlotte Edwards Cup which only came in post-pandemic you know good things do come out of pandemics it seems just about that and the double header hundreds which we'll touch on later but where do you feel the county system stands still in terms of the women's game and its growth and going forward if I'm completely honest I don't think it's very good at the minute I think it I don't think it's a fair reflection of what county cricket could add to women's cricket we are still in kind of the regional structure which we kind of had from COVID, um, which made sense at that time to restrict travel um, and keep it in kind of smaller bubbles. But I do think that's made the standard a lot weaker. Therefore, less regional players are looking to play county cricket, which then devalues it even more. Whereas I think if it was potentially structured better, um, whether we had sort of two leagues again, uh, maybe a Div 1 or Div 2, whether you still want to regionalise it so you could do North and South, I actually think it could then be used as a better feeder into regional cricket um, and it could potentially be used at the start of the season almost as like those pre-season games to, to kind of add to aid selection into regional cricket. And I think if we're thinking long-term what the route is going to be, I think county cricket shouldn't be forgotten and I think it could still play a really key role in producing future talent. Um, you've been part of this regional structure since its inauguration post-pandemic. What's that been like to be part of? Because it's been such an important move in the women's game, it seems, for giving coverage. Like we see, we saw the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy final at Lords last year on Sky Sports, and that's a massive step. What's it been like to be part of that? And where do you see it going from here? It's been amazing. It's honestly something that I didn't think would happen in my kind of lifetime of playing cricket. I really thought that it was something that was sort of five, ten years away. That's something that would come into the game after I'd finished playing cricket. So to be able to be part of it straight away and get that professional contract was really, really like rewarding for me and it gave me more of a boost. And I think one of the main things it's done is it's kept a lot of talented, skilled cricketers in the game for a lot longer. I think there was a lot of women kind of like me that 
had kind of other careers outside of cricket and you're thinking, how long can I keep doing both here? How long can I keep doing well in both careers before I have to kind of make a decision? Um, so from a financial point of view as well, the game has kind of given a lot of girls like myself that kind of financial security to really go, yeah, I'm going to give it my all now in cricket and I can pick up any other career stuff that I want to after playing cricket. Um, so I think from that side of things, it's it's kept a generation of female cricketers in the game but then it's also inspired another level of female cricketers to to maybe think about not having to go to university if they don't want to not going to university just because they think they have to but actually there is a career ready and waiting for them look at Alice Capty for example like straight away going getting into doing really well in regional cricket straight away into the England squad and now she's earning however much a year without having to go had to go to university or anything like that um so it's yeah I'm not saying that like it's the only career out there it's not just that it's the other aspects that it's created the amount of roles for female commentators female umpires scorers like all the media people that now have careers um more coaches i just think it has created and kept so many people in the game and inspired more to be part of the game as well which is pretty awesome and growing up did you ever think that that could be a possibility that you could actually be a professional cricketer and that's what you would be able to do get up day to day you don't have to shower at the end of training because you don't have to go and do another job no, literally, I, I remember having a really tough time at university. So I went to Loughborough for sports science, but also for the cricket. Sal Briggs ran the MCCU programme. So at that time, obviously, if you wanted to play for England in cricket, that's where that's where you went. And I just remember having a real kind of tough mental battle with myself in the second year going, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep do, trying to do really well in my degree and trying to do really well at cricket. And I don't want to half-ass both of them. I don't want to end up getting a two-two or a third, but also then not play cricket well either. I want to I wanted to get a first, but I also wanted to play for England. And it was trying to combat both. And I remember thinking to myself, well, there's only 14 professional women in the country. Is that too much of a push for me? And in the end I thought, yeah, that is too much. So I'm going to have to drop out of cricket and I'm going to put all my eggs into my sports science degree. So I actually stopped for sort of three to four months um, and just went completely down the sports science route. But then I quickly realised that once you stopped doing that, there was nothing. There was no support then for women's cricket. So it, for me, it was either go all in and just try and get whatever support you can or you're going to have to stop playing the game. So I really didn't think that there would ever be this kind of middle ground for players like myself. And thankfully, that's what this regional system has done. It's allowed us to kind of take that step into professional cricket and supported us financially whilst doing other jobs if needed. I really like that. They always say aim high and you're like, yeah, I want to first and I want to play for England. How do I get both? Which is, you know, go for it. Like I would have been happy with the first or playing for England and I didn't manage either. But, you know, that's fine. It's not about me. Um, And so once you got back into it, how did that feel? Was it quite hard to be like, actually, I'm going to get back into this and I am going to chase this as a dream? Yeah, I think it it was at the time it was kind of, you then, I think that next summer, there's obviously the KSL was getting bigger. And it was, I think my second year was kind of the start of the KSL. So again, even before that, there wasn't, there still wasn't any kind of other earning potential. So the start of the KSL really for me um, kind of showed that actually maybe this women's cricket thing is going to take off. Maybe I should keep, should keep trying um, and keep enjoying it. So that, that, yeah, that for me was kind of the sign that, women's cricket is going up and up and up and then there started to be rumours about these these regional teams and um, 
and more professionalism with the game. So yeah, started to think, okay, well maybe maybe there's more to just playing for England. Um, maybe there's other aspects that can go down. And having been a part of the regional setup since 2020, we've obviously seen the game grow exponentially since COVID and all of that jazz. How pleasing mm. is it to see the growth of the women's game and to also play a part in that growth? Yeah, it's really cool. Obviously, the the main thing is obviously as players is probably the wages, like being able to be financially supported and it actually be a good wage as well and the earning potential with the other leagues that are going on. Um, but like I said before, with that become, comes the inspiration for the younger girls. Um, and so one of the main things that I think we're all really pleased about is how many fans are coming to the game and seeing the boys and, and girls. It's not just little girls, there's little boys, there's families, there's there's grandparents, there's so many people, um, so many different demographics all coming to the game and just having a really good time. And I think there's not been many people that have come to a women's game and then not come back again. Uh, when they're there, they enjoy it. So for us, it's been really good seeing kind of the, the ECB and other sort of governing bodies and other people in sport really kind of investing in women's cricket because we know, we've known for a long time that you would get those rewards if you just invested so it's great to see that those investments have been happening um, and we are seeing the, the rewards for it as well. And it's exciting for the future as well. Look at like the IPL or the WPL, the amount of um, money and, and everything that's going into that. And it was just such a great spectacle to watch. Bumps like fair break, things like that. So I just think there's going to be more and more, which is only only exciting for players and fans. Is that uh, Marie Kelly bidding for a spot at fair break? Absolutely. 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 Get me in there. Yeah. Um, we had Mignon on earlier, and so we, we, we've talked a lot of fair break today. I mean, even armed with a mug, because I'm a badger, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, and talking about exciting displays, last year we saw you with the bat hit a 53-ball century. I don't know, it's two years ago now. I'm so confused what year it is now. 2021, we saw you hit a 53-ball century with the bat against the Vipers. Something like that can't go untalked about did you just hit your flow that day and seeing it like a beach ball yeah I actually that that game was purely frustration a lot of frustration that I built up so we'd obviously we'd had the hundred for the month before that and I hadn't played or batted so I was very frustrated that in the middle of my summer I hadn't batted for like four weeks um and yeah there was a bit of just oh you know I'm just going to go out and I think it was a lot of anger a lot of frustration that I just ended up taking out on the Vipers bowlers and it seemed to work. So I think it showed me the kind of batter I wanted to be um, and that you can have success from just being really, really positive and really attacking, which in cricket, I think you kind of, especially from a young age, you talk like, don't get out. Like you, they want everyone, everybody wants you to score runs, but they never want you to get out either. So I'd always felt kind of a bit tentative and this was like, well, I've got nothing to lose now. I haven't batted for four weeks, so I might as well go and try and whack it. Um, and it came off. So, yeah. And I mean... I suppose there's no better team to do it against than the Vipers because, you know, they just seem to win everything. So sometimes they need to be taken down a peg or two. So exactly. I'm, I'm happy with that for you, to be fair. And to be fair, I think because it, I think Vipers actually, it helps to it was against them because they, I think they got like 168 or 170, which you kind of think to be able to chase that down, you're not going to be able to do that if you're doing it slowly. Like to be able to put Vipers under the pump, you have to go out hard and then try and maintain it. So I was like, well, there's no point getting like 10 or 15 and getting out. You may as well go and try and win the game and give it a good old whack. 
And you talk about that time in the 100 that you had four weeks, you didn't really get to bat. What was it like being part of the 100? Firstly, the excitement of that, you get brought into a team, brought into a franchise, but then you do just sort of have to plod around with the team. Is that really hard? Yeah, it was a tough a tough month, obviously, because it was um, after COVID as well. So it was when we had like the bubble restrictions too. So mentally it was quite a challenging sort of four weeks with all the kind of COVID stuff anyway. You weren't allowed to see family or that kind of thing. Um, but then I think one of the main things about franchise cricket is obviously you're put into this environment with people and it's also new coaches. It's a new environment and the coaches make decisions based on what they see in those four weeks, which is absolutely fair enough. Like that's all they can kind of go on. So I felt, I feel like in franchise cricket, there's not much you can do to kind of change, change things. And because it's such a short competition, coaches don't want to be changing teams all the time. Um, So it's just learning to deal with those kind of, um, those kind of expectations and those kind of assumptions or I guess from coaches about that's what they perceive therefore they're going to go with that and I was very much came to terms with that I really enjoyed the competition like the atmosphere at all the grounds it's obviously the first time I've been involved in something that big it was more kind of disappointment and frustration that I wasn't able to contribute to the team in that way that I wanted to but the actual whole competition was amazing and yeah really glad to be a part of it. And obviously you've mentioned there about not playing but wanting your teammates to do well. How mm. men, How do you stay strong mentally during that time when you're not playing? Yeah, it's really tough. Like, obviously, they're your friends as well at the end of the day. So it's really hard to, like, not want people to do well. You don't want people to fail. And you also want the team to succeed because it's a, it's a short franchise comp. You want to win it. It's about, I think, one of the best bits of advice was just keep doing what you can do. And if you get selected, then you just take that opportunity. It's very easy, especially in those sort of close-knit environments, to get quite bitter and bitchy and, and get jealous of people. Like, it's a very natural emotion. So, oh, why is she picked ahead of me? Blah, 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 blah. And you might not agree with certain decisions, but, yeah, it's just about doing everything you can, knowing that, like, your, the decisions are out of your, your hands, controlling what you can, and then just trying to enjoy it. Like, if you're there for that amount of time, just trying to get the most out of it as possible, really. And talking of showcasing skills, we can't glaze over the fact that you like to bowl left arm and you like to bowl right arm. How did this come about? Because we have previously had an ambidextrous bowler. We had Gemma Barsby on last season. So you are our second ambidextrous bowler. But talk us through that one and how that came about and how you use that to your advantage. Gosh, it's so hard to remember how it all started. It was quite a long time ago. It was from like more from like a coaching point of view. I was like, so my boyfriend's a cricket coach as well. And we were just kind of chatting. I was like, oh, I'd love to be able to kind of throw left arm or just like mix it up because obviously you get quite tired just bowling or throwing right arm all the time. And we were just kind of joking around and I just tried it. And he, he was like, that actually doesn't look that natural, you know. And I just remember going, yeah, well, like I'd probably want to work on it a bit more if I, if I had the time, but I haven't got the time between playing and coaching. It's just quite a lot. And then lockdown hit. So I literally had no excuse. It was, you, you must stay in your homes don't do any work um but it was effectively two years in the end wasn't it I had nothing else to do so he kind of said we'll put your money where your mouth is then let's go the only thing that we could do or we were allowed to do was go to the cricket nets um so or stay in the garden and we just worked on it for the whole of lockdown really it was was quite a lot of fun for me it didn't really feel like work or learning a new skill it was just 
I'm a bit of a cricket badger anyway. And I just thought being able to do it would be useful more from a coaching point of view to start off with. And then when it got a bit better, I thought actually we said, well, maybe in the way that women's cricket is going more franchise cricket, it might be a good skill to have to be able to do both. And how often do you actually whip that out in games now? It's getting quite hard because we've got such a good bowling unit. Um, so it's trying to, and this was obviously one of the challenges last year is knowing when to do it. So just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And one of the challenges I found last year was actually, it's actually hard enough anyway, coming on to bowl with your right arm, having not bowled for 30 overs. So obviously you're warmer and then you could be batting or you could be fielding and then suddenly you're on. So to be able to switch on and be able to do both straight away was actually a lot harder than I thought. So that was a, a good learning point. So I still bowl it a lot. Most nets, I'll, I'll bowl it um, just to keep it ticking over. And then it was more for like franchise cricket. If he, if somebody likes it, if a coach likes it and sees it. And for matchups, we do a lot of statistical analysis on players. So certain players will know that they are weaker against left arm spin versus right arm pace or whatever. So it was, how can I make myself the most selectable? And that is by offering as many different skills as possible. That was my thought process anyway, whether it works or not. We'll see. No, I love that. And so we talk about um, the things that you do to get noticed by franchise teams. And obviously we have the draft this year for the 100, which is the first time we've seen it in the 100. What's it like, the idea of putting your name in for something where, in essence, it's putting a value on you as a person? We spoke to Mignon about this. She was talking about the WPL draft and how then you have this sort of value on your head and it can really get to your head like, oh, I'm worth that or I wasn't worth that and maybe I'm not worth what I thought I was. What's that like? Yeah, definitely. I think that's obviously part of the challenges that we're all going to start to face. I personally didn't, I didn't choose to go into the draft this year. Not, not for that reason particularly, but just because I didn't want to be taken to go and do a role that somebody else wants me to do. I've been very set on what I want to do and I wanted to agree that with the team kind of behind the scenes. I didn't want to just, like you say, just be taken somewhere else because that's what the coach sees of you and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think as much as you can control it, the easier it is. But like you say, when kind of those drafts, like with Minion and stuff, you've got no control over what that person values you at and what team you're going to, what environment you're going to be in. So I imagine that's quite a scary place to be in. But I think... As professional cricketers, we're always trying to see, be like a positive mindset. So it's about trying to flip it and try and be like excited by it as well and think that people actually want to pay that much to for me to perform in their team, which is another cool kind of spin spin on it. Having been part of the 100, this is a little bit of a, again, an interesting question, but obviously being part of Phoenix and Trent Rockets, I'm curious to know, did you actually get free crisps and free butterkiss popcorn or... Was it just the dream they sold everyone? We actually did get the popcorn at Birmingham Phoenix, but we did not get the crisps at Trent Rockets. The skips are so good. I know. I know. I don't, we didn't even think about it, whereas maybe it was just because we were a bit more bored in the the COVID bubble in, in Phoenix. So yeah, we, we kind of put our foot down and demanded a few boxes of popcorn and we got absolutely loads, to be fair. Skips are like... The gateway drug crisp to prawn crackers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. They're like, I, can't believe, I didn't even think of that. We didn't even get a single bag of them. So yeah. many opportunities, the fizzy tongue thing, and yeah. tastes like prawn cocktail, but it tastes like it's also never met a prawn in its life. You know, 
Like when you can buy those chicken flavored ones and they've they've never been near a chicken. I think cheese and onion are actually vegan as well. Something like that. I'm, don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on anything. I'm full of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so you've seen two editions of the hundred now. How much of a growth have you seen both in the in the game, in your game, in how the hundred itself is displayed and experienced i guess it's quite difficult to compare covid times to non-covid times but as a game what's it been like for you i think the first year was just so different to anything that we've ever experienced there was a lot i felt like there was quite a lot of pressure on us as players to perform not necessarily from the cricket point of view but to kind of make everything good for the tv and stuff so like you had to be ready in this certain position the fireworks were going to go off here so you couldn't stand there and there was a lot around kind of how it was going to be viewed which I think when you're it's like a first comp you've already got nerves that I think that kind of yeah was a bit nervous for everyone um exciting of course but it was just so different to anything we've ever experienced but obviously then second year we were probably a bit more used to that um and it was just kind of part and parcel we kind of took it in our stride a bit more which I guess is what you're going to get the more professional the game comes the more competitions like that you play and the more you kind of get used to knowing how, kind of how to perform and and be really exciting for people to come and watch and it and it is kind of a spectacle isn't it at the end of the day like people want to come and enjoy it and it was about learning how to, it's not just a cricket match it's kind of a bit more than that so taking that time after the game to go and speak to fans and interact with them and yeah and just and spend time go over to when they were doing like events and stuff go and see those people it was much more than than the cricket and I think once everyone was a bit more relaxed in that second year the cricket kind of took took care of itself and the women's matches again from first year and second year were, were really really good and I think it's been really really good for for our game in particular showcase what what kind of talent we have and so where can the 100 go from here do you think I think it'll be about can we keep attracting big names into it I think the the more better overseas that we get as well the more interesting the competition becomes the more exciting it is again for younger players to come and watch it and it's about getting that good kind of mix of regional players, England players and overseas. And I think that's something that 100 has done well in terms of the amount of overseas and international that we have, as well as the regional players that play. So, yeah, I think after the WPL this year, I think there's going to be a few more franchise competitions. Obviously, fair breaks are two years now. I'd just like to see the 100 wages increase to kind of reflect how well the women's game has done within that and how, how well it's been received and how many fans we're getting in and the revenue we're creating from, from it. So that's where I kind of see it going, just getting bigger and bigger in particular for the women's and then same with the men's. Hopefully they can keep attracting the big names um, and making it a really exciting comp. And who is the most exciting person you've had the opportunity to play either with or against because of the 100? Oh, that's a good question. There's been loads. I think Alana King was really exciting to play against last year. She, I just thought she was really, just really exciting, like really nailed her skills. I thought she was just really good to be around. Mignon was great as well. Like obviously as one of like the older overseas, she brought so much kind of experience and knowledge and we chatted a lot about cricket. So it wasn't just what she brought on the pitch, but yeah, the kind of the stuff off the pitch and kind of the mentorship she has was really cool. And then I think players like Sophie Devine, Elise Perry, like those kind of, that class of players is really, really cool. So yeah, there's lots, there's absolutely loads. I love playing alongside lots of different overseas. You just get to learn so many different perspectives and how they kind of deal with different challenges. So yeah, it's quite cool to mix with a range of different players like that. And obviously you've talked about the growth within the 100 and where it could 
potentially go? Do you think there'll come a time where perhaps we might see a team based in Scotland? Because obviously we've got Welsh Fire down in Wales. Mm -hmm. So it'd be interesting to know your thoughts on that. And if you got the chance to play for the Scottish side, potentially, would you take it? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. I think Scotland cricket is obviously making moves and obviously the Bright they've produced a lot of talent in the Bryce's Kirsty, Abtahar, there's even more Saskia Hawley. There's absolutely loads that, that are playing for Scotland are doing really well. So yeah, I don't see why not. That could yeah, I think there's a lot of cricket up north and even further that they're kind of squeezing into one or two teams. So yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be wouldn't be against that idea. I think that's a pretty good idea. And for you, you've been play, you've played in England A stuff and along the development lines. Is there ever still that England dream there, or are you content with what you're at at the moment? Yeah, there's de definitely the dream there. I think, like I said to you, whilst I was at university, I think that dream definitely became more distant because it just seemed like it was really unachievable. But then it, uh, last year, they obviously introduced the. They do north-south games, so it's like the best of the north versus the south. So I thought that was kind of one of the first moments that I thought, okay, they are looking for what else they can add to England women. And I did well in a few of those games. And then there was the England A games to get into, we got to play against India, South Africa, and New Zealand. And for me, that kind of showed, actually, I can still do this. Playing against pretty much New Zealand's full women's side and South Africa's full women's side and India, actually, they were pretty strong. And England A, we competed and we beat a lot of those sides. So that kind of showed to me that we're not actually that far off. Obviously, England women have done really good where they are, and, but they also need the competition as well to make their skill levels go higher and higher. So, yeah, I think the dream's definitely still there. I'd be content if I never did it because of the, all the other opportunities that cricket has presented me, but it's still definitely an aspiration, 100%. And you scored a 59 ball, 89 in one of those games for England A. So you definitely showcased what it was that you can do. And then we also know you've got your left arm, right arm. You can turn both arms over as well. We just always got to add that one in as well. Remember, I can do that too. I've got this in my armory as well. Um, and so now we're back into the, the summer season. Things have kicked off. We've just had your first game as the Blaze. Um must be exciting to be back going again and also part of the new franchise. And how is everything feeling like after that first win on the board? And it's a pretty good game in the end. Yeah, we're actually we're like really confident. It's probably the most confident this group of players has been. I think at Lightning, it was very much kind of, we were always kind of talking about like growing and developing and we had quite a lot of young players and or less experienced players and we didn't have many England players either. So we've done some good recruitment this winter to kind of bolster the squad, which I think has been really good from the management to do that. And it's just really strengthened the sides. So we are definitely feeling very confident and I'm glad we started off with a win that just always aids the confidence as well amongst the group and kind of settled, settles those first game nerves. And we've seen the franchises, or not franchises, the, the league this year entice more international players, the likes of Nadine Leclerc, Chloe Tryon, that's really exciting, I guess, because it is showing that the rest of the world are looking at this tournament and it's only going to bolster the professionalism and the level at which everyone's playing. What's it like to have people like that added into it? Absolutely. I think it's been brilliant. And having at least one overseas per team, as I think it's the max, I think actually maximum is one overseas, but I think that just adds to the strength of each 
squad it adds to the competition of the game it will it will even though it's only one player um once you add in them kind of your senior players and the england players it just increases the skill level and that can only benefit everyone so you, obviously from the start of the Rachel Hayho Flint the scores have just gone up and up and up and I think you'll see that um, even more now with the addition of these these players and I wanted to ask you a question on coaching was that something you'd always wanted to go into because obviously you do a lot with Warwickshire and mm. you know Brandon's cricket and stuff like that so I'm just curious to know if coaching was always in the back of your mind yeah definitely um I kind of fell into it when I was sort of 15 just I think naturally you kind of you end up helping at your local club and it was something I always enjoyed but never really saw as a career and it's something that probably at, at Loughborough at university I probably neglected the coaching side of it or kind of turn my nose up at it a little bit like oh yeah it's only coaching but then once I finished my degree went to university uh, went to Australia came back and it was all just generally a lot better so yeah I think just there was more coaching opportunities you got paid well to do it I enjoyed kind of inspiring the next generation of girls to play cricket so I actually realized okay maybe there's more of a career in this than I actually thought well there definitely is a career in it I'm aware that we don't want to keep you all evening because as we discussed before this podcast, you and I both need a shower. There's a bit of too much information for everyone. Alex is just laughing at us. But we trained hard today, so that's what happens. Although I'm not exactly so I probably didn't train as hard as you did. But we always like to round off the podcast with some sort of quick fire, more fun questions. And one we like to always start with is, what is the favourite sledge you've ever used or heard? Oh, gosh. Put me on the spot there. This is a, I tip it, okay, there was one, there's obviously all the classic ones like more blocks in Legoland, more swings in, in the playground, that kind of stuff. But one of my favourites was actually I got, I was being sledged quite a lot when I was batting. They kept saying they were going to snick me off, blah, blah, blah. They gave me loads and loads of stick. This was men's cricket. And then I actually did snick off and it went to slip and he dropped it. And I turned around and said, even if I do snick it, you still didn't even catch it. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's lovely. That's really, really nice. I'm a fan of that. Yeah, that's a great one. Minion was too nice. Yeah, so that was, that was, that was 14 men's cricket. Yeah, take on the boys. <laughs> Love that. Alex, you're in. Another popular one we like to to ask guests such as yourself is, what is your favourite tea item at a standard village cricket tea? And don't do what Wongi did and said a spoon. A spoon? Oh, my God. She's always trying to be smart, isn't she? I would say if they have, like, chicken satay sticks. I love chicken satay, so that kind of thing. Yeah, when they have like chicken satay, spring rolls, anything, anything quite Chinesey, to be honest. I'm quite bad for that. <laughs> Chinese English cricket tea, we're here for it. That's why yeah, you we always just have that. You should have been a fair break in Hong Kong. I am oh, no. a dumpling. I am a walking <laughs> dumpling now. As long as it yeah, was. Yeah, my old club warmly used to have like spring rolls and prawn crackers and you know, prawn toast. Loved it. Yeah, and you didn't even have any skips. That's like children's Chinese food. If you hadn't been a cricketer, what would you want to do? Oh, that's a good question. I think something to do with like physical health. So when I was younger, I was quite into like the heart and biology and stuff. I wanted to be cardiac rehabilitation officer. And I did a bit of work experience on that. And then I quickly realised that a career in the NHS probably wasn't going to work out very well. So I think I made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, you haven't had to go on any process lately. Nope. I always wanted to be a paramedic because I was obsessed with watching Casualty. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. But I don't think I'd have been good at it, to be fair. <laughs> Last TV show you binge-watched? Ooh, Happy Valley. Me and Lucy Hyam have been watching that. 
yeah, religiously, and we absolutely loved it. So good. I'm only on season, I'm on season two. My flatmate and I started it, and then I decided to go away for like two months. And she's been like, "Why are you not back yet? I just want to watch." Be nice to see you too. Just like, I just want to watch Happy Valley. I can't watch it without you. It's so good. We're currently on we're on the capture at the minute, which is really good. So I'd highly recommend that. Go to karaoke song. Ooh, Islands in the Stream. Oh, interesting. Islands in the Stream. I'm gonna get a rendition. Like yeah, love that. We even get a rendition. Yeah. I've one of those before. There you go. Aim to please. Best mate in cricket. Oh, um. She might not be my best mate anymore because she got me out on Saturday. But Emily Arlott, yeah, she's been getting me out since we were 11 years old and she's still she's still doing it. So, yeah, she's she's on the line. Despite that, she's still my, one of my best mates in cricket for sure. Dogs or cats? Dogs, 100%. Well, obviously. 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 I've seen your question. Next. Yeah, next. Yeah. question, Georgie, shut up. <laughs> Um, who has the best dress sense in the team and the worst? Oh, I'm going to say the worst is probably the Bryce's. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to put them in as the worst. The best, I think Beth Harmer dresses really well. She's got a lot of style. She takes care of her appearance. And maybe Sarah Glenn. She's got quite a lot of funky outfits going on, but I like her. I like her style. A style I definitely could not rock, but she looks great. No, neither. neither. But she looks great in it. Yeah. Favourite musician or artist? Oh, wow. I've got so many. I really like Neo. He's my guilty pleasure. Got to go with him. Yeah. Anything that kind of that kind of vibe, really. Neo, sort of Jason Derulo. Oh. Chris Brown. Oh. Although I'm coming for a night out Chris with Brown's you. Because it's not Chris Brown the person. <laughs> I'm coming for a night out with you because this is this sounds like my kind of party. you got to talk yeah. with my guest club in there too, just... You know. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, who has the best and worst chat in the team? Oh, I think Kirsty Gordon takes both of those <laughs> because well, I feel like she gives the best, <laughs> the best chat, but she gets in trouble with it as well. So it's also probably the worst. But I enjoy it very much. So <laughs> I am all here for shit chat. I literally spew it all day long. And my dog now is honking yeah. like a penguin from Toy Story. He got but we have to be careful now because it's on the... Um, we have, like, the stump mic and everything now, so we've got to be a little bit careful. Bloody advancements yeah. in women's cricket technology, ruining our shit. I know. I know. Well, I feel like we've probably kept you all evening and my dog is still honking like the penguin from Toy Story in his <laughs> own apartment. Um, so I will leave you to your evening, both of you. Um, thank you so much, Marie, for finally getting on the podcast. Um, it's been absolutely fab. And go well on the weekend with your two matches in three days. Sounds like an ice bath. Yeah. An ice bath and a roast dinner in the middle of there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, we, I'm sure we will hopefully see you in person at some point throughout the season. Oh, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for... Do not go just yet. Please tell our listeners oh. where they can find you on social media. Oh gosh, I don't even know my own. I think my handle is Marie Kelly96 on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter that much, but yeah, Instagram's probably my main thing if you want to see pictures of cricket and my dog. Well, literally why I follow you. Yeah. <laughs> For the dog. Cricket content, second. Not so much, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much and have a lovely evening. Thank you, you too.
And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at WCricketChat, on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat. And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at GeorgieHeath27, at CassieCoombs98, at MahikaVarshani, and I'm at Alex Vane This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Get